I'd like you to do a couple of things, if you would, before we begin our time together, my few minutes with you this morning. I'd like you to uh, take a Bible out of the rack in front of you. I was going to do this anyway, so it's not a function of a glitch. Um, uh, there's an extended passage that I'd like to read today, and I want to make sure that you have that. So uh, it's either a black uh, Bible or a red Bible. Uh, I'd like you to take God's Word, and I'd like you to turn to Jeremiah chapter 32, and just hold your finger there. Jeremiah is uh, an Old Testament prophet, and um, it's a little uh, more than halfway through your Bible for those who may need a little help in finding the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah 32. Also in the pew in front of you is a pen and some type of paper, whether that's an envelope or some description. I know we'd like to have the envelopes used for another purpose, but I'm asking that you would take the pen and a piece of paper. I'm going to give you five words from our time together and from this very important text related to the concept of homecoming. So if you do those two things, uh, get God's word, Jeremiah 32, and a pen and a piece of paper, either from the pew in front of you or one that you might have, I'm going to give you five key words and key takeaways from this important text today. Before I do that, I want to start with Helen. And I want to thank you for your faithfulness. I want to thank you for your presence. Helen and I uh, met each other this morning uh, a little before 9 o'clock. And Helen arrives at church every Sunday a little before 9 o'clock. And she's faithful to be uh, on the organ and using the gifts that God has given her. Uh, I'd like to go to Jean Brooks. Uh, Jean has started playing my tribute today. I think it's going to be a future offertory, a future something, and I can't wait. I pray God's, uh, that I'm here that day when you do that because it was extraordinary. She just kind of tickled the keys, and uh, but it was absolutely fabulous. And uh, Jean and I have a, a wonderful relationship between our family from a day long ago in December. And that song was part of that day. And you made it again a very special day here today. And then I go to Bill Hall, who uh, probably uh, would have had, would have more hair today. Uh, not that you don't have hair, you do have hair. It's really looking good too. Uh, Bill would probably have more hair today if it weren't for teenagers like one Mitch Hagens that uh, caused him to pull some of it out uh, in days past. But your faithfulness in the ministry of this church, despite Kay being ill, um, is an example for all of us. That when we might not feel like it, or even when something else is pressing, you're here. And I'm grateful for that. And then there's you, Chris. Um, you know, um, I, I'm, I'm not an ignorant man, uh, although there are some who would debate that, Harry Angevine. Um, <laughs> And I know by all rights, I should just say, amen, and we need to be done. Because of the talent and the gift that you gave us, not the talent. It's wonderful, it's remarkable. But the gift that you just gave us to cause us to think what our Savior did for us. And I'm so very grateful to follow you today. We have much to be thankful for. And so to each of you, to Helen and to Jean, to Bill, to Chris, to Steve Lowe, to Charlie Hartstein, who are faithful in teaching, I offer in front of you, my brothers and sisters, a sincere apology. 
that I didn't invite anybody here today to witness your faithfulness and your skill, to hear you tell in song the story of our Savior and our salvation. I did not invite anyone to be here today. How is it that we have abundant room and abundant talent and abundant message and we're not told? And you say, well, that's all God's timing. No, no, he said go. He said go. And I didn't go. And I'm sorry. But what I do have is a wonderful word from God that I'd like to share. Father, we thank you for this time, this very special time in this very special place. For some, we've been in this building a very long time. And some, it's fresh and new. For some of us, our walk as a believer, as a Christ follower, goes back decades. And for some of us, it's new. Wherever we stand, Father, help us to remember today that you are our Father. And that our brother is Jesus. And what he did for us is unspeakable and kind. Amen. So you'll see in the worship folder this morning, uh, the title is Homecoming. And for those of you who have been any time in this church, you would know that Homecoming in three weeks from today and yesterday uh, uh, is very special. Uh, I, I love Homecoming. Um, uh, not homegoing, okay? I, I don't want to get the words right here. Homegoing is a little different. This is not about that. There'll be a day for homegoing. This is about homecoming. And for those of you who know me at all, uh, I enjoy homecoming. And I was trying to think, what do I enjoy most? Do I enjoy the people? And so if you were here last August, you would know that there was a lot of hugging, that I like to hug people, especially those that I might not have seen for some period of time. People who are precious and special in my life that I only see every so often, every so few years. Uh, so the people are very important. The messages are very important. Two years ago, after coming back to this church as our pastor, David preached a, an extraordinary sermon. And last year we had a Foley Beach in the pulpit. And this year David will uh, return to the pulpit during homecoming. And it, I'm sure it will be an extraordinary day because pastor is faithful to the word of God. And he brings that to us in ways that you and I can understand. So I, I think there's something special about the people. I think there'll probably be something special about the service or the word of God as it comes. But really, if it comes down to it, if I'm pressed to put a priority, it's food. You can look at me and tell, although I'm dressed in dark colors for a particular reason this morning, they're slimming. Uh, you can tell that I'm a skosh overweight. That's not the word my doctor uses. That's the word I choose to use. I'm just a skosh, just a bit overweight, because I enjoy food. And there'll be abundant food at homecoming. There's a lot of reasons to celebrate homecoming. And as I, as I think about that, this isn't a sermon about our homecoming in three weeks, although it has implication. No, this is a sermon about homecoming when the person who set it all up, when the person who made it all possible or a, was a key figure in the homecoming, never lived to see it.
He prepared a way. He prepared a path for homecoming. And that's Jeremiah chapter 32. Jeremiah, for those who might not know, is a, what we call a prophet. He is a person who had a unique and special relationship with God. With the God of Israel. With Yahweh. A, a, a relationship that allowed him to hear the voice of God. Yes, sometimes audibly. But to be touched by the very presence of God in such a way that he, Jeremiah, could communicate the future reality, the current state, and the future reality in a meaningful way to all of those around him. This was Jeremiah, and this was a prophet. Now, Jeremiah was a prophet in a time when the message he was delivering was hard to hear. Jeremiah was a prophet in a day when people did not want to hear from Yahweh, did not want to hear his message, did not want to hear what God was saying through him. In fact, it's so bad that he's been locked up for proclaiming the word of God. He literally is locked close to and near to the king of Judah who despised his message. It was a harsh message. It was a message that none would want to hear. You and I would not want to hear because it was a message of coming desolation. How many of us would get up in the morning and go, ooh, yippee zippy, I get to tell everybody we're going to be totally destroyed and annihilated. Woohoo! That was the message day after day from the prophet Jeremiah. And the king handed up to hear. And so, so that people wouldn't hear. And somehow, because they didn't hear, it wouldn't happen. The king sequestered Jeremiah. But what we're going to read today in a rather lengthy text, 16 verses, what we're going to see today are three or four things that are germane to you and me in your walk. So while we're going back hundreds of years, absolutely going back hundreds of years, the relevancy to you and I today is about being bold. Because I'm going to assert with you this morning that there are some bold steps being taken. Not only by Jeremiah, but by God himself. And so uh, uh, Jeremiah 32, uh, verse 1, uh, begins this way. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord in the tenth year of Zedekiah, king of Judah, which was the eighteenth year of Nebuchadnezzar. So God is pinpointing when this is occurring so that you and I could go back in the annals of time and say this is not some story. This is not something that just we think occurred. No, it really occurred and we can pinpoint date and time. Now at, the, at this time, the army of the king of Babylon was besieging Jerusalem and Jeremiah the prophet was shut up in the court of guard, with the guard, which was the house of the king of Judah. Because Zedekiah, the king of Judah, had shut him up, saying, so the king has sequestered him, has hidden him, has, has, has imprisoned him because of the following questions the king has had. Why do you prophesy, saying, why do you, Jeremiah, say the following things? Thus says the Lord, 
Behold, I am about to give this city into the hand of the king of Babylon, and he will take it. And Zedekiah, king of Judah, shall not escape out of the hand of the Chaldeans, but he shall surely be given into the hand of the king of Babylon. And he shall speak with him face to face, and see him eye to eye. And he said, and he shall take Zedekiah to Babylon, and he shall be there until I visit him, or until he dies, declares the Lord. If you fight against the Chaldeans, which they were, you shall not succeed. And so Zedekiah is saying, I am imprisoning you because of the prophecy that you're expounding, the word of the Lord says. Discounting the, where, the source, discounting the source completely. Jeremiah finds himself in prison because he's prophesying the destruction of Jerusalem, the imprisonment of God's people, and the future death of Zedekiah himself. Verse 6, and Jeremiah said, the word of the Lord came to me saying, so Jeremiah is in prison because of all of that, but now in prison, in the, in the very house of the king, so he can be watched, so he can be monitored, so those that would hear his prophecy can be monitored. His life goes on. I don't know about you, but there are times in my life, and maybe your life, when things are hard. You and I might not be in prison, per se, in a jail. We might not be restricted in our travel and our ability to move around as Jeremiah was. But you might be restricted by illness. You might be restricted financially. You might be restricted today in terms of career or employment. There are a lot of things that can constrict us as Christ followers. And the early message here, the first bold message here, is one that says life goes on. Not in our power, but in the power of God. Because if you look at verse 6, and Jeremiah said, the word of the Lord came to me. The word of the Lord came to me. I'm in prison, and the word came. I can't travel, and the word came. I can't see people I'd love to see, and the word came. And what was that word? Verse 7. Behold, Hanamel, the son of Shalom, your uncle, is coming to you, saying, Buy for yourself my field, which is at Anatoth, for you have the right of redemption to buy it. You are in the lineage. You are covered. You may buy this particular piece of land. Then Hanamel, my uncle's son, came to me in the court of the guard, according to the word of the Lord, and said to me, Buy my field, please, that is in Anatoth, which is in the land of Benjamin, for you have a right to this possession, and the redemption is yours. Buy it for yourself. Then I knew that this was the word of the Lord. Verse 9, And I bought the field, which was at Anatoth, which was from Anatoth, from Hanamel, my uncle's son, and I waited out the silver for him, 17 shekels of silver, and I signed and sealed the deed. 
and called in witnesses and weighed out the silver on the scales. Verse 11, then I took the deed of purchase, both the sealed copy and containing the terms and conditions and the open copy. And I gave the deed of purchase to Baruch, son of Neriah, the son of Meshel, and in the sight of Hanamel, my uncle's son, and in the sight of witnesses who signed the deed of purchase before all the Jews who were sitting in the court of the guard. And I commanded Baruch in their presence, saying, Thus says the Lord, third time we've used that, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Take these deeds, this sealed deed of purchase, this open deed, and put them in an earthenware jar, that they may last for a long time. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Houses and fields and vineyards shall again be bought in this land. So given the description I started us with, given us the context of where the city of Jerusalem is and where this part of land would be, and given that there's coming desolation, it's no wonder that Hanamel, his uncle's son, wanted to unload, my word, not God's, unload a piece of land. Desolation is coming. What happens to land values with pending desolation? Do you think? Goes down. Thank you, Sharice. Goes down. He's trying to sell a piece of property. And on the face of it, in the context of what's happening in their culture and society, it makes perfect sense. This young man wants to send a parcel of land, sell a parcel of land. But it's far richer, deeper, wider than that. Far more important than that. Because in selling the land and buying the land, God is setting up, God is setting up homecoming. God is saying, I know what's happening now. I know because I'm enacting it. This is happening. You're going to Babylon. You're going into captivity. The land will be utterly destroyed. It will be worthless for a period of time. But Jeremiah, I want you to spend. And by the way, this is a significant spend. It's all he had. It's likely all he had. It's a significant spend. I want you to spend everything you have for tomorrow. And I don't mean physically the day tomorrow. I mean for the future generations who will return to this land, who will come back after decades of being away, who may have left with hard feelings, who may have left for greater feeling, greater, greater opportunity, whatever the case was. There are people that are coming back, and I want you to be ready, and I want this place to be ready. So Jeremiah, I want you to buy this piece of land. Now, for any of us who think about investing any amount of money, especially a large amount of money, we would want to, I think, I think we would want to invest in something that has upside potential. It's called retirement plan. <laughs> it's called preparing for tomorrow. It's called let's not lose what the Lord has entrusted to us. He's asked us to be stewards of it. Let's not lose it. And so on the face of this, as you and I think about this, think about this. There are armies at the gate. The end is near. 
and we have a land transaction. Can you imagine the people in the court, the witnesses that he called and pulled in to witness and sign off on this? Can you imagine what they were thinking? He's paying what? He's doing what? Isn't this the same man who's telling all of us about the destruction that's coming? Has he lost his mind? And the answer for you and me in the light of history is no, he had not lost his mind. And the answer was there for them. Whether they saw it or not, I'm not sure. But it is in every time, thus saith the Lord. Jeremiah did not attribute his decision, this purchase, to himself. Thus says the Lord. The Lord said to him, I'm going to send your nephew. He's going to ask you this. What happens? The nephew comes. What does he do? He asks, buy my land. You're to say yes. Jeremiah did what? Said yes. So when things are crazy or appear like they don't make any sense at all, look for the hand of God. That's the second bold concept today. Things didn't appear right. This did not appear to make sense. But it was absolutely what God asked him to do. And decades later, it made all the sense in the world because people had a place to come home to because of this transaction. Now, there are uh, four words. This is where you get to write down. You get to participate. Thank you very much. You've got your pen. You've got your paper. I ask you to do that. I know you do. There are four words I'd ask you to write down. Or if you don't want to write, that's fine. Make a mental note. The first word is obedience. When things didn't make sense, Jeremiah was still obedient. And wherever you are in your walk with Christ today, some things in your life might not make sense. Be obedient. Second thing, the purchase of land offered permanence. So we start with obedience. The, the obedience of one person made possible for thousands to come home successfully. But in the purchase of the land, there was some permanence. There's only so much land. It's always about location, 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 because there's only so much land. You and I have bought or transacted real estate based on location, location, location. There's only so much of it. It offers what? Permanence. There's not any more being made. And so in the decades that followed, they were able to say, but we have a place to go. God told us we're going to go home. We have now a place to go. We have land to go to. It offered permanence in a day of great uncertainty. I don't know what it feels like to have armies at the gate of our city. I don't know what it feels like for part of my nation to have fallen already. I don't know what that feels like, but I know what it feels like in our culture and country today. It feels a bit like anarchy at times. It feels a bit frightening at times. It feels a bit scary at times. Magnify that with literal army at the gate. And by the way, you knew they were coming because God said so. And you knew worse than that. You knew they were coming because of your actions. You brought it on yourselves. 
This land offered a sense of permanence in a day of great uncertainty. Permanence that, by the way, by the way, most of the people in Jeremiah included did not see the fruit of, but permanence nonetheless. The third word I'd ask you to write down so we have obedience, we have permanence. The third word I'd ask you to write down is sustenance. We always in our home, we, uh, we talk about what we need. <laughs> there are a lot of things we'd like to have. <laughs> I haven't bought a lottery ticket, so I'm not winning that. Uh, that would be one of the things I'd like to have. Hard to do when you don't buy. Okay, I get it. But at the end of the day, Don and I for 39 years have looked at each other and said, what do we need? We need food, shelter, and clothing. That's what we need. Everything else is a nice to have, like to have, want to have. This land, this purchase, gave them future sustenance. Because God says in the rest of this chapter, which I encourage you to read, it's a remarkable interaction between a faithful servant, and that could be you, and that could be me. Remarkable interaction between the God, uh, uh, the Creator God, and the God of Israel, and Jeremiah. But what God says in later verses is, the people are going to come back. By the way, there's going to be destruction. By the way, I'm angry. My people have not only forsaken me, they have taken up the worship of others. And things are going to happen. But I'm going to restore them. And they will again be my people. And I will again be their God. So when that occurs, let's be ready. Because the people are going to need to be sustained. They will need sustenance. The vineyards will need to be replanted. The crops will need to be replanted. The people will need sustenance. And this land provides, will provide sustenance. Not right now. Because right now it's going to be laid to waste. But in decades to come, when I restore my people, and they again see me as their God, they will have a way to sustain themselves. So that's obedience. Uh, that's the first word. The work of one, the obedience of one. The permanence that land offers them and us. The sustenance that comes from land to meet their physical needs. But there's a spiritual need. And all of those, the fourth word is the word presence. People deliberately, intentionally, uninvited God out of their lives. They, they ignored Him. And worse, they turned to others. And there's a price to pay for that. What happens in the verses 16 and following is Jeremiah, once this land transaction is done, and I encourage you to... You know, I encourage you to do a little homework. Go home today and, and tonight and read Jeremiah 32 because once this land transaction is done, the transaction that God had said was going to occur, that Jeremiah witnessed, attributed to God, he didn't say, oh, that, that's interesting. No, God said it. It happened. He did it. Once that happens, Jeremiah begins to pray. Because you and I can understand why this man, although he has a wonderful relationship with God the Father, you and I can understand as a human being being asked to do something that makes absolutely no sense. And doing it, but then having a question about it. Because <laughs> he has a question. 
And, he, and our God is so big, He can take any of our questions. And Jeremiah begins to pray in verse 16 and 17. After the land transaction occurs, God, I understand. Believe me, God, I understand. You brought your people up and they complained. You've been a good God to your people and, and they turned away. And for several verses, it's this interaction. It is this, it is this prophet of God, this Christ follower, this believer petitioning God to say, God, I know how I got here. God, I know it. And I'm so sorry. I know exactly how I got here. But God, can you help me? Can you help me? I did what you asked me to do. It doesn't make sense. When the witnesses were signing the documents, God, they were all grumbling. Some of them were laughing. They didn't understand. I tried to tell them, this is the word of God. But you know, God, they're not listening to that. That's how I got here, God, in a place that's not my own, under lock and key, God. God, I need you to help me understand. Why did I buy this land? We can sometimes be obedient and not understand, but our, our God is so good. And he answers him. And, 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 and he said, uh, he, he says, look, Jeremiah. Let me tell you again what's going to happen. And it goes through the whole thing that's going to happen to the people and why it's going to happen to the people. And then about 36, 37, 38, God changes his tone. Have you ever been in the middle of something with God and it's not going really well and you understand why it's not going really well and then all of a sudden God changes his tone? And God changed his tone in such a way that it made sense to Jeremiah. He, he started answering Jeremiah's prayer by saying, Yes, Jeremiah, you're right. The people have forsaken me. The people have gone away from me. They deliberately cast me aside, Jeremiah. And worse, they are worshiping other things. There are things more important in their life than me. And there's a consequence for that. And here's the consequence. And we've been saying it, you and I have been saying it, Jeremiah, to the people for quite some time. And it is now coming. But don't fear, Jeremiah. There will come a day, verse 38 and verse 39, and they shall be my people and I will be their God. And I will give them one heart and one way that they may fear me always for their own good and for the good of the children that follow them. So Jeremiah, please don't worry about the immediate. You did exactly what I asked you to do. You're setting up a future opportunity for my people to come back to me and for me to be their God again. And this land, this purchase, is a symbol of my covenant, my promise today that that's what's going to occur. That because of your obedience, Jeremiah, in following what I asked you to do, we now, as a people of children of Israel, my children have a sense of future permanence that they do not have right now with armies at the gate. And I will not forsake them, Jeremiah, because they'll be able to sustain themselves off the land as they do today. Desolation is coming, but the land will provide for them. They will have sustenance and they will enjoy my presence. Not to worry, Jeremiah. The last word, the fifth word, is the word bold. I assert to you today that 
takes a bold man, in this case, or woman, could be, but Jeremiah, a bold man, to listen to God and act when it doesn't make sense to his contemporaries. Um, I, I'm on Facebook. Uh, many of you are on Facebook. I see you there. Hello on Facebook, all of you. And uh, one, of the, uh, one of the groups I'm involved in on you know, Facebook is uh, Peachtree High School Remembered. Um, I went to Peachtree from the day it opened in uh, 1968 until uh, I graduated in 1973. It's long since been torn down and replaced. It's, it's off of North Peachtree Road. Oh, the site is there. And I look back at names and people and faces that are posted sometimes, and I, and I think, where did all the time go? It's been 40 years. Where did all that time go? The reality is it's just a breath. It's just a vapor. And so while God's people were going to endure hardship and heartache, while the things that they known they were going to be stripped away, while the things that they valued were going to be gone, and while they would be in captivity to another, it's a vapor. And what Jeremiah did in this land purchase was bold. He listened to God when it made no sense to his contemporaries. In high school at Peachtree, peer pressure was hard. It was about clothes and music and people and who and what. And even as a teen in this church, there was peer pressure about clothes and who and music and what. It hasn't changed very much. So despite pressure from his peers, Jeremiah did what God asked him to do. He was bold. But God was equally bold. And saying, here's what's happening and here's what the future is going to be. In three weeks, we'll gather in this place, uh, many of us in this very room, over two days. I don't know who will be here. Uh, we never know who comes uh, until they show up. So bless Bill's heart, Bill is uh, assembling a choir week of unknown composition. We don't know who will be in the loft. We don't know who will be sitting where you're sitting today. I guarantee you'll be more people in numerically than are here today. The question about homecoming, is the relationship with God. I get, I, that's where I wanted you to focus. But I'd be remiss in the moment that I have left with you to say, what will occur in three weeks? When you and I are in this room with people that we may not know, will we be bold? Will we be bold in setting up for this? That means inviting people. That means going to people we haven't seen in a while and encouraging them to come and hear the Word of God. Not so that we numerically fill a building, but so they come under the teaching ministry of our pastor and might renew their relationship with Jesus Christ. What will you do and I do that is bold related to this particular homecoming? What Jeremiah did was he was obedient. So God is asking some of us to do some things related to homecoming. Will we be obedient? He's, he's, he's taking care of the permanence. This church is still here. It is a light, 
It, it is a lighthouse to those who may have had a past here who can come back and hear the word of God because many of the people I see on Facebook who have attended here aren't in church anywhere today. So we have permanence. We will have sustenance that day. Yes, I have a great lunch in the varsity on Saturday. Woo-hoo. But there will be sustaining in the word of God on that Sunday morning. And some of our friends from the past need to hear that. But it's about the presence of God. And he's here. He's always here. What steps will you and I take to be bold for Christ? Not just for homecoming. For each time we gather in this place. He's not the question.